This week, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell study the Sabbath School Quarterly for Sabbath, April 25, titled, The Bible, the Authoritative Source of Our Theology. Journey with us as we explore how Scripture deeply impacts our lives. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. Okay, here we go. The Bible, the authoritative source of our theology. That was uh, paying attention to this in Isaiah 8.20, which is our memory text, says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Well, I think we have it right there. That's the litmus test of uh, what we should go by the law and to the testimony. Yeah. So what is it talking about there, to the law and to the testimony? Yeah, great question. I think that really is dividing up, uh, especially for the ancient Jews, the Hebrews, that they divided up the uh, basically the law, the Torah, the first five books, what we tend to think of, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then uh, that's the law. And then you have the testimony, which is kind of the additional books after that, the there Psalms, Proverbs, all the rest. Yeah, so the prophet speaking, the mm-hmm. law, right? Um, exactly. And even today, that means the 66 books for us. Yeah. But not only that, when God speaks, because God is still in the midst of speaking, and he has a testimony still sharing with us. We need to listen to that. And how do we know? Well, if there's no light in them, <laughs> it is not according to the law and test to the testimony. It means it can't disagree. Then there's no light in them. We don't listen to them. But if they do agree, we listen to them. It's really a profound thought to think about because uh, what seems so simple is actually so true. Because so many people want to say, well, it's the Bible and... <laughs> whatever that might be. Yeah. And yet the Bible says, no, it's it's the inspired word of God. There we go. I agree. Uh, so let's go into tradition. I was talking about here, and I'm going to have you look at Mark chapter 7, uh, 1 through 13, if you can give us some highlights there. And the very first line of this of Sunday's lesson says, tradition itself is not bad. Well, what's it talking about here? And I guess you'll answer that as you're looking at those highlights. Well, if if you look in Mark chapter 7, you have the Pharisees, and it's my translation, the Common English Bible today, is that says the legal experts, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, whoever you want to call that, they're huddling around Jesus, and they're looking to see where he's messed up. <laughs> and they actually kind of said, ha ha, I caught you. And what they caught them doing, not so much Jesus, but his disciples, who were uh, not washing their hands. And so for the ancient Jews, that was a big deal because of ritual yes. purification. So they're not following basically all of the laws that they felt that they should be observing. And uh, they come to Jesus in verse 5. Why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead are eating food with ritually unclean hands? So basically they're saying, hey, how come you're not following our traditions? To... Mm. And so Jesus says um, in response to that, um, uh, all the way to, you know, basically the idea of teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men, but basically they've elevated the tr- traditions above those of Scripture and the true meaning of Scripture. Oh, ouch. But uh, it's a really good thing we're not talking about the Adventist church today at all, right? Not at all. <laughs> You know, uh, it, it when I was thinking about this, and uh, it asked us this question, teach us 
how does this, what does this teach us about how Jesus reacted to some of human traditions in his day? Um, it's not that human tradition is bad. It's just that it cannot trump God's word. Yeah. It, it just cannot. Um, if we allow it to, then we get ourselves in trouble. You know, it's a funny thing that this is talking about tradition here. While we've had this uh, COVID-19 shelter in place, so we've had to stay at home, and I've been getting stir-crazy. My kids have been getting stir-crazy, so yes, sir. trying to do some other stuff. And one thing that I've been doing is to read through Joseph Wolf's autobiography. Ah. He was a Jew, converted to Catholicism, and then became a Protestant. So <laughs> what a story. And one of his critiques as he became a Protestant was to point out, he said, you know, just because it's tradition doesn't mean it's bad. Yes. He said, and so, and that was his critique. Now, he obviously left the Catholic Church, but it wasn't because everything in the Catholic Church was bad. In fact, he used to point out to Protestants, there's a lot of good things in Catholicism. Although, he said, biblically, this, I disagree with the, for example, infallibility of the Pope. But uh, I like that. I appreciate that because... Um, there's a balance that's there. We we recognize that there are traditions. The fact is, is we probably don't recognize it enough, uh, but all of us have traditions. And do we dare step on some toes and say in the Adventist church? Oh, you know, we you have just, some traditions. You just said that no lightning struck. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so traditions aren't inherently bad. The problem is when we elevate them to the same importance or even, you know, uh, uh, letting them supersede scripture. That's kind of what's happening here with Jesus and, and dealing with some of the um, religious leaders of, of his day. You know, speaking that tr not all traditions are bad. Uh, the the quarterly gives us a couple of texts here that and I'm going to look at it right now in New King James Version and 1 Corinthians 11 2 it says now I praise you brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you and then it goes on to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6 uh, but we command you brethren in the name of the Lord our uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to, to, to the tradition which he received from us. And so we see there, tradition's not always bad. And matter of fact, here saying, if they're not following the tradition, then go ahead and cast them out, right? Yeah. So back to that balance, you know, there we need to make sure we keep uh, avoiding those extremes on either end. Yes, I agree. And so now that we have tradition down, <laughs> let's look a little bit at, at experience, uh, which is... They're starting a Monday's lesson, Experience. Uh, it gives us a couple of texts here. Uh, Romans chapter 2, uh, verse 4, and Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Uh, and it asks this question that goes along with it. How do we experience the goodness, forbearance, forgiveness, kindness, and love of God? And why is it important that our faith not be just not uh, an abstract intellectual knowledge, but something that we actually experience? You know, I, it asks us that question, and you know, where does that balance come? Where, where, where's, what's the answer to this question, Michael? Well, that, this is a tricky one because um, our experience that each of us has um, is unique and different. But Romans chapter two, verse four, which is one of the verses that's cited there with that question, it says, <clears throat> "Or do you have contempt for the riches of God's generosity?" 
tolerance and patience? And don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and life? Mm. And so really it's out of those experiences. If we believe in God's goodness, that he is working in us through each of our lives, through those around us to ultimately bring about his purposes. God never forces but he does try to work to the best of his ability through the Holy Spirit. And uh, you never know how even just a kind word or an action that you say could be what God will be able to use to help bring someone else to experience the gospel. You know, to me, that's the definition of grace, which is there's a time element to it. You know, God mm-hmm. is so gracious. He's forgiving. He's forbearing, all these different things. But there all of us have a time where we're going to expire, where we're either going to die, and that can be physically or spiritually, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that we do have time limits on those things. And so he does everything with his love, but it's up, it's up to us. It's our decision. Yeah. And, you know, this brings up the point, I think, that experience is not the litmus test. I mean, it's no. possible that we can read into the Bible our experiences, but our experiences could at times be misguided. We could, based on our emotions, read a certain passage and then perhaps, and so we actually have to let Scripture interpret itself. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but the criterion isn't our experience itself. Um, yes, God works through experience. We need to recognize it and see and watch for God's leading in both our life and the lives of others around us. But then at the end of the day, just like tradition, it has to always be evaluated by Scripture. Amen. Amen. And and that's one thing that God will never deviate from because that's a part of his character. That's who he is. And we should strive to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it asks us now in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, and I have it pulled up here in New King James Version once again. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am a, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that you may present that he, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And it says. What should this tell us about the limits of trusting our experiences? Well, I think back to what we were just talking about, that if we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves. Yeah. And we're corrupted. So if, like you said, if the the test within me is my own knowledge, my own experience, well, it's flawed because it's corrupted. But the word of God is not corrupted. So therefore, that has to be the litmus test. Exactly. All right. So now... And Michael, you, you're going to love this. How does culture inform uh, how we live? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I laugh at this because uh, uh, Michael on exam gave this uh, as a question and he gave them the answer to it several times. And then on the test, they all got it wrong. So <laughs> for those of you listening, uh, hopefully you get it right now, right? That's it. That's it. Uh, great question, though. I mean, because I think that... This is so obvious that we take it for granted, and it's so incredibly difficult to actually realize and acknowledge our own cultural biases. I began to see this, you know, working in a cross-cultural context because we lived, uh, we served in a seminary overseas in the Philippines, so we went from one culture to live in another culture, call it cross-cultural ministry, as we have now a blending of cultures around the world. We're really a global community i mean that's if anything that's one of the lessons i'm seeing from this pandemic is 
how one small thing can start one place and really impact the entire global economy and everything else. It's true. And so we just have this, um, this, this, these cultural lenses. They're kind of like glasses that I wear them. And you know, one time I was looking for my glasses and realized that they were on my face. I didn't, <laughs> you know, like where'd they go? And it's, it's these cultural blinders. And so just how we think, how we approach life, all of that is cultural and it's not a bad thing. Um, culture is just who you are. It's your ex- the collective experience of how you're raised, your parents, your environment, uh, so many different factors. And yet um, here we see a description and, and we know that not only does culture exist, but we also know that Christ transforms culture. Yes. And that's, that's the, the key element. Christ has to transform culture, mm-hmm. uh, which means that he dwells with us. He is with us. And I even have here, he is, we're called to be in, but not, not exactly um, uh, a part of, but not, not, not transformed by our culture, but, but transformed by the love of Christ. Yeah. Right. And first yeah. uh, John two fifteen through 17, I'm going to just read verse 16 as it talks about this. Mm-hmm. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Right? And it says, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Yeah. And that's what we have to strive to do, strive to live for Christ. I, you know, I want to try to bring this back and, and bring it home just a little bit, because Please. I think it's a, a bit of a challenge, you know. And one of the things I... You know, I'm putting in my own words, I'm paraphrasing it, but Ellen White basically makes the point that we can love something from all the different nations and cultures of the world. Uh, there's no one perfect culture. No. And so a danger is, is that we think our culture is somehow superior than another culture. And the moment that that happens, we're in big trouble. Ouch. But God transforms all cultures. That means there are strengths and weaknesses of my culture and your culture, the culture of any of our listeners. Uh, and so we have to, that should give us a little bit of a grounds for humility and say, well, Lord, what aspects of my life are cultural that you may need to transform? Now, I, here's where I want to bring it home just a little bit, because this last week I saw on social media, there's a big debate in one of my friend's pages. And there were even some people I could see were having some hurt feelings, but, but they were talking about going to church and what is reverence in church. And and I was really surprised at some of the the strong responses. You know, if if your children don't sit perfectly still, then they said, I'd rather not see them in church. And I thought to myself, Oof. that's partly cultural because, Oof. you know, how you what you consider how you dress to go to church and what's appropriate, what's reverent, whether you speak in church, whether you move or don't move, whether you have water, a water bottle or not, certain cultures are very uh, down on having a water bottle, but here in America, I most people I see bringing water bottles into the sanctuary, it, and, and it's not to say it's right or wrong, but those are cultural. So we have to be very careful that we don't somehow start to take our culture and make it normative for everybody else. <laughs> you know what? As I was looking a little bit closer at this scripture, First mm-hmm. John two sixteen, it goes along with that, which is talking about the pride of life and that word. Alozania, which is 
basically boasting about how great your culture is over others. Mm -hmm. And that's not what this life is about. Mm -hmm. If we're going to boast about anything, according to the scripture that I read, we need to boast about the goodness and the greatness of God. Because all of our cultures, in some way or another, yes, they have good things, but they also have bad things in them. Exactly. Uh, And and as this this lesson does a great job of bringing out, Mm -hmm. what aspects of your culture are in complete opposition with biblical faith? Because we all have those things as well that we need to overcome. And so stop boasting about how great you believe your culture is. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can be happy for your culture and enjoy it, but don't start bragging on it. Don't start um, being braggadocious about it. Be braggadocious about the goodness and greatness of God. It's a great word. I just love that. <laughs> hey, well, you know, sometimes they just fall out. Hanging out with you, I learned some big words. So. Hey, it's mutual here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we should just move right along. Uh, not only experience and culture, but reason. And we've got a couple of texts. And <clears throat> while you're uh, checking in those, uh, Buster, I just want to say that, you know, God calls us to love him with all of our minds, Amen. our bodies, our Um, spiritually, physically, but also mentally. Um, God calls us to the renewing of our minds. So when you're ready, you want to read those texts. But I think as Adventists, this is absolutely essential because we believe God is the Word of God, but we have a God of order and reason. And when properly understood, the Scripture should make sense. There's a coherence to it. And so God gave us our minds and wants us to use them reasonably, logically, to be able to understand the Word of God. Amen. So I, I have here Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, uh, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And then I, I'm also going to read um, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. And there it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. And finishing up here with Proverbs 9, verse 10, and trying to make sense of all this in just a second, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom once again, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you see a little bit of difference there, but we see here that to, in order to actually know God, in order to actually have this wisdom he's talking about, yes, there's this fear that starts off with it, and that our very minds, and our very minds, we captivate our thoughts, and we make them subject to God. Uh, that's our call. That's our duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it means that there has to be a little bit, bit of brain power. It means you need, actually need to think for yourself, and not just listen to the words of men, but actually listening to the words of God in order to bring yourself into uh, uh, the rule of God in your life. Absolutely. You know, I think there's a, a good case study of this in Adventist uh, history, and that is William Miller. And, you know, the lesson kind of refers to the Enlightenment, this yes. idea that there's a dichotomy between faith and reason, uh, but actually that there's a, a very good argument that could be made that the two belong together from a biblical viewpoint, worldview, is faith and reason are not antithetical to one another. Good example of that. Um, as I mentioned uh, from Adventist history, is William Miller, who was a deist. He grew up in a, a strong Christian home, but then as he grew older, became very influenced by the ideas and ideals of the Enlightenment. He actually became a deist, meaning, well, if there's a God, I, he's probably not really involved in my yeah. life and in human affairs. And and 
what changed that perspective is his reading the scriptures again and dis- discovering that God is a loving God. He had this conversion experience, but he never gave up that commitment to reason. Mm. And a lot of historians have pointed out how in Miller, there's a there's a very obvious logic. There's an appeal to the mind. Uh, Bible prophecies and trying to figure them out, that's an appeal to reason. Mm. And so God wants us to use reason when studying the scriptures and as part of reason as Adventists, why we value Bible prophecy and believe and have a commitment to what uh, the books of Daniel and Revelation say because we value this. Amen. And, and thank you so much once again bringing that historical aspect because, you know, come let us reason together. Though your sins Absolutely. are all scarlet, they'll become white as snow. That's ability that God gave it to us and it's a gift. It is. Let's use that gift. Uh, and what better thing to, I believe, end on than the Bible itself on Indeed. Thursday's lesson. Uh, it says, The Holy Spirit who has revealed and inspired the content of the Bible to human beings will never lead us contrary to God's word or or astray from the word of God, right? Uh, and so uh, if you look up there for, for us, Michael, John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47 and it's talking about this specific question for Jesus Christ, the Bible's the ultimate source for understanding spiritual matters. How does the Bible confirm that Jesus is the true Messiah? Well, here we have another one of these debates between Jesus and the, the Pharisees and having he's kind of explaining himself a little bit from his own self-understanding. And he and he says this, if you believed Moses, you would believe me mm. because Moses wrote about me. And if you don't believe the writings of Moses, how will you believe my words? <laughs> that just rips you right to the heart, doesn't yeah, it? It's called mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 738 goes right along with that. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow the rivers of living water. Right? Yeah. So if we believe him, living water will flow out of you. If you don't, I guess you can say dead water will flow out. <laughs> and dead water is no fun. It's putrid and you don't want to be around that. You want to be around that living stream. Yes. And Jesus, you know, is the source. And he says here, hey, I'm here. You know, I, I, this is kind of a funny story, but not funny. Uh, I had a friend. I think I think we're actually on the same Zoom conference. Yeah. We're just saying one of the beautiful things about the pandemic that's going on right now is that some pastors, you you didn't know what they were saying before. Well, now everyone's stuff is out there, and you can see and separate between living water and dead water right now, right? Mercy. <laughs> so prayerfully, we're all sharing living water. By God's grace. Well, it's been another uh, great week. This is a great quarterly, and it reminds us to always keep ourselves <clears throat> anchored and immersed in Scripture as our authority. All these other things are important. But scripture trumps it all. Amen. And I'd like to share this with you as I was uh, preparing for the Sabbath message, which is what excuses do you have right now that you're not immersed in scripture? I know uh, many of us are at stay home order. And, you know, are you staying at home with Netflix? Are you staying home with extra snacks? Uh, Whatever you're giving your attention to is what you become. And I pray that we're becoming more like Christ because we're spending more time in scripture. Yeah, and by the way, if you've got questions about this lesson while we're in the midst of this pandemic, we're doing continuing our weekly uh, Facebook Live uh, on Sabbath mornings at 10 o'clock Central. So please join us, and uh, it's a chance to be interactive and engage with us. I'm looking forward to it. So I guess this is Soup and Swoops signing out. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. 
By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahoo.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.